0: Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to Bridge City Church, Murraysville Campus. I'm Pastor Eric. So glad you joined us for part of your Sunday morning. Uh, how many of you know worship and prayer doesn't just change, doesn't change God, but changes us? I and mean, then when our focus gets back on the right things and the good things, it, it, miracles can happen. God can move mountains in our lives, and we don't change God. He doesn't change, but we change. And, you know, this series that we're going to be continuing called Courageous Faith, is something that isn't just a, a good teaching, it's not just information, but it's meant to be something that changes us from the inside out. To not change God, but to bring change in our lives and the way we see things, and the way we see even obstacles and challenges in our life, through eyes of faith, rather than just what we see in the natural. You know, As we look throughout the Bible, we see how important it is to have faith, to, to understand that to believe and things that we cannot see, but to believe that God is able to do things that are beyond what we can see in the natural. This courageous faith, and to be honest, there isn't any other kind of faith, because to have faith is something that God is asking you to do, or something that takes God's doing, not just in our human power. You're gonna need courage to have faith, right? If, if you don't need courage, it's probably not God asking you to do something, right? But a courageous faith is what we're talking about as we're going through the book of Joshua. If you're joining us, you're new. New to here at Bridge City Church, we've been working our way through the whole book of Joshua, an Old Testament historical account of God's people. And we've covered chapters 1 through 9. Today we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 10. And just to remind you, the Bible wasn't written in chapters and verses. It was added later for us to find them. So the book of Joshua is really just a historical record of what happened. It's history. And we're just reading along chapter by chapter, just breaking it into bite-sized pieces each and every Sunday. But you know, faith, the thing about faith is it doesn't make things easy, amen, right? Just because we're people of faith doesn't mean we have an easy life, but what Jesus said is faith makes all things possible. He said, humanly speaking, things are, there's impossibilities, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible with God. And I know we all say that, we acknowledge that, but the reality is we have eyes and often we see with our physical eyes more than we have eyes spiritual eyes of faith to believe that anything is possible with God. So a better question than are all things possible may be, are we with God? If being with God equals all things being possible, we must ask the question, are we with God? Not God following us and God with us, but are we with God? Are we on His side and in His will and following with Him? So our big idea today is courageous faith expects supernatural results because there's always a problem, a promise, and a possibility. There's always going to be a problem. right? There's always going to be a next battle. There's always going to be Monday going back to work. There's always going to be the next season of life that comes. The problems come, but there's also the promises of God. I think at times we give more weight to the problem. There's always going to be something else, but there's also the promises of God that far exceed any problem or challenge we face on this planet, that the promises of God stand true for the test of time because God has the way of making a way when there doesn't seem to be a way, that possibility that he makes all things possible. This courageous faith is something we shouldn't just hope someday there's gonna be a breakthrough, hope someday something amazing is gonna happen, or maybe if I try really hard and I work at it for really a long time, God's gonna do something doesn't work. Courageous faith expects supernatural results because we serve a supernatural God. We don't need to warm them up to, to do something miraculous. He wants to do it. He wants to answer our prayers. He wants to show himself to us each and every day, not just the big events in our life. Well, this message is meant to encourage you to build your faith and to remind us all how much we need to have a courageous faith that expects supernatural results. Before we jump into the text, would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a supernatural God. God, that you call us as your people to have a courageous faith, not a timid faith, not a weak faith, not one that has faith in anything other than you, the Lord God Almighty. So Father, I pray that your spirit would speak to each and every person listening to my voice. God, that it would be your word, your heart, your spirit that they hear, not my own. God, I don't want to give a clever speech, I want to give your word and your spirit. So Father, use me, use us as we hear your voice and become your people who go out with courageous faith into this world who so desperately needs to hear from you. Father, I pray that everything we do today would be for your honor and your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Joshua chapter 10, so far, just to give a little recap of how we got here, is the Israelites, they're, they're making their way across the Jordan River. They entered the Promised Land. They win the Battle of Jericho and the Battle of Ai, and they're, they're camped at a place called Gilgal, and they're, they're made uh, allies with the Gibeonite people. Now, the Gibeonites, or Gibeon's a real close-by town to where they were camped. The Gibeonites deceive the Israelites. They trick them. They put on these tattered clothes, and they had moldy bread, and they trick the Israelites into thinking they were a people from a distant land. Because the Israelites weren't allowed to make treaty with the people within the promised land, but they were tricked into making a treaty, believing the, the Gibeonites were from a far-off land. They quickly discover that they were tricked, but they made this covenant. They're going to honor the covenant they made and not destroy the Gibeonite people. So there's this treaty that's made. The Gibeonites, the Israelites, they're at peace. The Gibeonites are now servants to the Israelites. And we pick up in verse 1 with the story. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem... Heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed A'i and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all this because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than A'i, and the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. This king, this king of Jerusalem, actually, the first time in the Bible we hear and see the place of Jerusalem. And you may have think Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. Not yet. King David made that about 400 years or so after this, that Jerusalem became the center of the Jewish faith. So, but it was a real place, a real location. And this king, Adonai Zedek, his name means king of righteousness. But yet he's an enemy of the true king of righteousness. So he hears of the people of Gibeon making an alliance with Israel, and he's stricken with fear. Why is that? Because the Gibeonites were strong warriors. These strong men, these strong warriors. And there was, he feared that the Gibeonites who were strong, he heard about the Israelites and what their God was capable of doing and how they'd been winning these wars, these battles. They just made a peace treaty, so he's afraid of what's going to happen to him. So verse 3, King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings, Hoham of Hebron, Piram of Jarmuth, Japhia of Lachish and Deborah of Eglon, come and help me destroy Gibeon, he urged them, for they have made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They moved all their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. How many of you have ever had some success or something going really well for you in life? And then it seems like just things keep falling apart. Again and again and again, and I hear people say, well, just my luck, or it's just the way things are. Man, every time I get a step ahead, I feel like it's two steps back. It's not to say that that's not true, because when the enemy hears of success or good things happening, he will mobilize his forces against you. We shouldn't be surprised that bad things come to people who follow God, because we're following a king, following a God, and the enemy of God wants to stop that from happening. But usually he doesn't attack us head on. As we see here, the the enemy, these five kings that come together, they don't attack the people of God. They attack the place they have a covenant with, the place they have a relationship with. And many times you won't be attacked, but your spouse will be attacked. Your kids will be attacked. The people around you or close to you will get attacked. And at times we go, why is this happening? Why is this happening? It could be because the enemy is trying to take out and distract you from the things of God that he's called you to do. This, this place of covenant, these place of relationships are often under attack. So what should we do? Well, one is to not be afraid of it, but to have courageous faith and learn how we can fight against the enemy. How can we stand up when our relationships are being attacked, when those close to us are being attacked? How do we fight from a place of victory? See, God, God doesn't lose. God cannot lose because he's God. He is the creator of all things, and he expects us as his people, as his sons and daughters, to fear nothing and expect victory. We're to have no fear. Over and over again, the Bible says, Do not fear. Have no fear. Even Joshua, in the book of Joshua, God spoke it three times in the first chapter Do not be afraid. Take courage. Be strong and courageous. He's not just saying that to Joshua, he's saying that to each and every one of us. Do not have fear. But to be bold and courageous, to stand up against opposition. See, the real threat isn't constant opposition, it's not the the battle after battle after battle. The real threat is becoming complacent and just expecting to lose, expecting for bad things to happen, expecting for your bad luck. I don't believe in luck, I believe in the sovereignty of God, that there's a spiritual threat to uh, to our being, that He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. It's not bad luck. It's the enemy of your soul trying to ruin your life. But greater is he who is on the cross, greater is Jesus who overcomes sin and death than he who is in the world, that the God is greater than anything the devil has. In 1 Peter 4, uh, Peter writes about how we shouldn't be surprised when trials and tribulations come. We should expect it because we're, we're more like Jesus when we suffer like he suffered, that we should expect to be attacked And if you're not being attacked, it could be because we're not a threat to the devil. right? Being attacked often can be a good place to be because God is doing something that we can't yet see to find hope and find courage that there's steps we can take to get out of the mess we're in or out of the attack that is coming our way. So let's look and continue. as The Gibeonites are being attacked now by these five kings. In verse 6, it says, The men of Gibeon. Quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once, save us, help us, for all the Amorite kings who lived in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Now, I'll be honest with you, Like the, the message comes from Gibeonites to the, to the Israelites and say, hey, we're being attacked. Now, the Israelites made a covenant with Gibeon to say, we won't destroy you. We won't attack you. But they didn't say that they were always going to fight their battles for them. So when Gibeon sends word and says, we need to help, rescue us, save us, it could have very well been, they said, we, we're not going to fight for you. They're not attacking us. You're on your own. If we would have read that that's what happened, it would have been like, understandable. They, they didn't have to fight for them. But instead, they took the highest level of their covenant relationship and says, Joshua, his entire army including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. But here's a problem. Gibeon and Gilgal, there's some distance between them. In fact, there's a picture of a map just to help you picture the the region and the area. This is modern-day Israel and what it looked like then of the region. This is the the Dead Sea and the Jordan River that leads north up to the, uh, the northern region. So Gilgal, they cross the Jordan River. They defeat Jericho and Ai, and they're camped at Gilgal, right in the same region. The Gibeonites were the next town over, about 20 miles away. And you can see where Jerusalem and Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon and David, these are the armies that motivated, mobilized to attack Gibeon. So word comes, Gibeon's attack, they send word to Gilgal, and Joshua and his men get the word, and they instantly say, let's go. Let's defend them. Let's go fight for them. So they get the word, and it says they marched for 8 to 10 hours through the night, to get to Gibeon. Now, to paint this picture here, because it looks like a really small distance on the map, but it's about 20 miles away, up an incline of 3,300 feet. So the elevation height is much greater at Gibeon. This would be like us leaving here and marching down to the point, downtown Pittsburgh. Anybody want to go for a walk? Right? But but that 20 miles to walk, where it's like from here to about La Trobe area, like if you've ever walked very far, like you're driven to there, it's like that's a long ways to walk. And I know I drive up some hills, and then you walk in one time, you're like, this is way steeper than I expected, right? The elevation is 10 times greater than Mount Washington. So imagine marching 20 miles, pretty much uphill the whole way, wearing armor and weaponry and carrying provisions and supplies, marching through the middle of the night after working all day, I mean, these guys weren't just sitting around waiting for the next war. They, they were doing stuff all day. They get word, and they instantly go march through the night. Not only do they march through the night, once they get there, they start to the fight. And I don't know if, how many of you have ever been in a fight, but it's exhausting. It's tiring. I used to wrestle for years, and I knew two minutes in a match was a lot. Two minutes, to a period was a lot. You're exhausted and spent after about two minutes. Most people don't have the endurance for that. Yet here these men are. Marching for eight to ten hours, and then they're going to begin to fight for the next day to two days as we see the rest of the story. But this would be exhausting. And I mean, get get to the end of the day, and Joshua has this great idea let's go march. I've been like, can't we just wait till morning? Like, can't can we, shouldn't we get some good rest? That, humanly thinking, that would be wise, right? To, we should rest first, and, and maybe we should get some camels or something. Like, instead, they just said, let's go, we're going to march. And fight the enemy that's attacking the people that we've made a relationship with. Oftentimes, there's somebody attacking those in our life, and we just wait. And we sit by and think, well, eventually they'll get help. Eventually they'll get help. But when you hear somebody attacking your family, there's no delay. It's, we're going to go. Let's go now. And we stand up and fight against the enemy of God's people. So the Lord says to Joshua in verse 8, they're, about, they're marching, they're, they're going to leave. And he says, do not... Be afraid of them, the Lord says to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into a panic, threw the Amorite armies into a panic and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horan, killing them all along the way to Azekah and Mecca. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm from heaven that continued until they reached Azekah. The hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sword. Now, God does amazing things. Amen. he does things that we would never think about. I would not think to call down a hailstorm on the people. I'd be like, we're going to kill them with the sword. It's, it's our strength. It's our doing. It's our training. It's our might. Instead of saying, God, would you fight this war for us? They're going, they're putting them in place, and, and they're doing the work, but they're also saying, God, we need you to intervene here. God's results are far out, will far out exceed our results on our own. God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we can even ask, think, or imagine. To think of this, this bizarre story we read about that God threw them into a panic, and then he sent this hailstorm to kill more of them than the Israelites killed with the sword. And just to show you a little bit more of a picture of how long of a trip this was, that map you can see from Gibeon all the way down the, the road of Beth Horn to Azekah and Macada, how far they traveled, chasing the enemy to destroy them. Again, that's a long way to run. It'd be like going to like West Virginia or beyond to Ohio. Like, I don't want to walk out to pass my car. Like, we wanna, they're running, they're chasing, they're fighting, they're destroying. This goes beyond human strength. This is so much greater than than the human ability to realize they stayed up all night. They're going on two days now with no sleep, and they're fighting the entire way, chasing the enemy, that their strength was not in their own strength, but their strength was in the Lord. God will give you supernatural strength if you're operating in his will, according to his word, doing the things that he's asked you to do. I don't know about you, but sometimes at the end of the day, I'm like, I just want to sit and do nothing but God will strengthen you and give you the strength to do the things that he's asked you to do. We only get God's outcomes when we marry ourselves to his, his, to his orders and his commands, to what he's asked us to do. You know, I love how Paul writes it in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20. He says, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I never would have thought to let hail rain down on the people and kill these guys. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of, of putting them into a panic. Like God, would you make them all panic and fight each other or, or, or not be able to fight us? Like, God does things that are infinitely more than we might ask or think. That situation you're facing, that family member, that, that problem you're facing, you might not see or even be able to think of a solution to it, but God has a solution to that problem. Maybe you get it soon. Maybe you have to wait a couple decades. Maybe you get it on the other side of this life. But God has a way through the things that we don't see a way out. When the Israelites got to the Red Sea, how are we gonna get through? They're probably thinking we gotta build boats or we gotta try to swim. And God parted the sea. They never would have thought of that. Yet God parts the sea till we walk across on dry ground. Every single time we're faced with a dilemma of God, what are we gonna do? Put your faith and trust that he has a way that exceeds what we can even ask or think. Maybe that's a good prayer to say, God, would you help me expand my faith, grow my faith to believe that, God, you can do anything that you want to do. Speaking of one of those instances where God did something unimaginable, unthinkable, something I would never have thought of, is found as we continue in the text. In verse 12, it says, On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. He said, "Let the sun stand still over Gibeon and the moon over the valley of Ajalon. Now, imagine I'm Joshua and you're all the people, and I say, "Hey guys, we're gonna pray for the sun to stop to stop moving." And he's with me. You've probably been like, "You're crazy! (laughs) Like you need to eat something." But you you know, the sun stood still. He did it in front of all the people. He said, let the sun stand still and the moon stop. That God, you're going to stop time. You're going to stop the earth from rotating. Such a bold, declarative prayer. He didn't say, God, hey, if you could just help us out a little bit. He made a declarative, bold prayer to stop the sun, to have the moon and the sun stand still in the sky so that they could continue to fight I'll be honest, I'm like, I put myself in the place often when I'm reading the Bible, like, what would it be like to be there? What? That's why I like the map. I like to picture a little bit of what it's like. And if I'm one of those soldiers and I was up all day, we marched through the night and we're fighting all day and Joshua goes, hey, we're going to go for another day. The sun's not going to move. We're just going to keep, I've been like, Joshua, stop it. Like we need sleep, right? But, but instead he said, let the sun stand still and the moon stop and it stayed in place. Verse 13 The sun stood still, and the moon stayed in place until the nation of Israel had defeated its enemies. Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky. It did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. Now, again, imagine this actually... Happen. It said it stayed for almost another day, so they could continue fighting, continue chasing the enemy, continue for the purposes of defeating god 's enemy and bringing victory to God 's people. He stopped the sun, which I take as he stopped the rotation of the Earth, because the sun doesn 't actually move. We rotate around the sun, we orbit around the sun, so that the planet would have stopped where the sun could be in one place, the moon was in another, that they stopped rotation of the Earth, so they could keep fighting to move on now. I just think it's amazing that God would pray a prayer like this. Right? But Joshua had seen amazing things. Okay, he went through the Red Sea. He went through the Jordan River on dry ground. He'd seen the walls of Jericho come crashing down. He'd seen the victories that God could continue to give his people. That he had such bold faith to speak to the sun and say, stop moving. And he believed that it would actually happen. And then it did. Imagine the boldness and faith that he had to have had. Imagine what we could do and what God would do if we would pray such bold prayers. To have faith to believe that God could do whatever he chooses to do. That if he wants to stop the rotation of the earth, he can do it. And people, and, and I'll be honest, as I read through commentary and study of this, I was really disappointed with how many Christian resources I found that tried to discount this as, as actually happening the way it happened. There is metaphor, there's allegory, there's different things in the Bible, but this is an accurate historical record of what actually happened. And people would say, like, well, there might have been a solar eclipse or there was a refracting of the sunlight. It just felt like a long day because they were so tired. I mean, you know, we say that, like, wow, when's this day gonna end at times? But that's not what happened. It actually stopped. The sun stopped moving in the sky. The moon stood still so they could extend this, this day out. And I've always gone to Genesis 1-1 that says if God create God created the heavens and the earth. God created the sun. God created the earth. God created all the stars in the sky. If he so chooses to stop the earth from rotating, he's going to do it. If you can accept Genesis that 1.1, that God created the heavens and the earth, nothing else that happens in the Bible is going to be too hard to understand because he created it all. But if you struggle with, God, did he really create the heavens and earth? You may struggle with some of the physical things, the miracles and the awesome things that God has done in the Bible. We got to have it settled that God created the heavens and the earth, that God is not subject to the laws of nature because he created the laws of nature. He created gravity. He created everything that we experience here and now. God created it. You know, the Bible says that he spoke creation into existence. Everything in the universe operates on the power of God's word. It's not just energy, it's the power of God's word that brings heat and light and life from the Sun itself. It's God's word that spins the Earth in such a perfect way that we can have life here on Earth. I read people say, "Well, if the Earth actually stopped everything we'd fall off and, and there wouldn't, it wouldn't work right, and there'd be tsunamis." And God's not subject to the laws of physics. If he wants to do that, he can do that. If he wants to raise the dead, he can raise the dead. If Jesus wants to walk on water, he can walk on water. He's not subject to the laws that He created. The impossible can become possible with God. Furthermore, as I read this, I said, "Not just thinking about who God is, and you know sometimes people argue, well let's just the Bible prove in the Bible." I'm like, yes, that's perfect. The Bible should prove and support the Bible. However, history screams at this event actually took place. And let me read to you some examples. The, the people of the Cuahitlan people, they're a people group in Mexico, ancient tribal native people. Uh, they have recorded in their ancient history that there was a nighttime that did not end. It was a very long night. In Mexico, the Mexican annals, it says that the night appeared to be like four nights, extra long, four times as long The Midrashim people in ancient tradition spoke about a time when the sun and the moon stood still for about 18 hours. Records in China during the reign of Emperor Yao, who lived in Joshua's day, reported an extra long day. Herodotus, a Greek historian, recorded an extra long day in in the same time frame as Joshua. Other records, uh, the Aztec people, record a time when the, the sun stood still and the moon stood still. The Incas of Peru, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Persians, the Polynesians all have records of ancient time around the same exact time frame that Joshua entered the promised land of a long day or a long night. And people go, well, why is there a discrepancy? Well, it's amazing when you look at the, the Chinese, the Greeks, and the Babylonians, all of them on the, in the same part of the world where Israel is in the Middle Eastern part, all those cultures and civilizations talk about a long day. A really long time, about 18 hours where the sun did not set. But then on the other side of the globe, the Mexican and South American and Central American, the people there sat, talked about a long night. Blows my mind of excitement of like the people thousands of years ago stood and, and recorded this event actually happening. The, the one side of the globe, a long night. The other side of the globe, a, a long day. Nobody's making this stuff up, right? The people recorded this in history Dozens of different ancient civilizations recorded that this event actually happened. Now maybe the question is, how did it happen? Well, I'm going to stick with the Bible because God has proven himself faithful for thousands and thousands of years that he has the record of how it happened. Actually, the only record of how it happened. There's speculation from the other civilizations, but God tells us that it was done so that The people of God would experience a victory. That God would show his magnificence. That it would build faith. I believe even in us, thousands of years later, that we'd have faith to rise up again in us, to realize God is a God of anything. He wants to do. He is the God of the impossible. It wasn't just so that they could defeat these enemies here and now, but we see God brings victory over and over and over again throughout the book of Joshua. And In fact, the next two chapters, Joshua 11 Joshua 12, it just lists out all these battles and all these kings that Joshua, that God defeated by using Joshua and his armies. And it actually concludes in Joshua 12, verse 24, the last line of Joshua 12. It says, in all, 31 kings were defeated. 31, that, that map that we showed, all those different towns, there's 31 in total because there was the southern armies and the northern armies that Joshua defeated, that God gave complete victory. Victory over those kings. And I believe there's a significance, and the kings are always, uh, almost always written with a lowercase k. The kings or were not the true king because there's one true king, a capital K, and his name was Jesus. These lowercase k kings who were ruling, who were enemies of God, God brought victory over them. And I believe a good question for us all to ask ourselves is: What kings do you need God to give you victory over? What kings in your life? does God need to bring you victory? Maybe the king of anger. Maybe the king of, of lust. The king of greed. The king of inadequacy or lacking any self-worth. Is there a king of addiction in your life? Is there a king of something, of fear, of anxiety, of worry? This king that's risen up in your life to, take, to try to take control over you, but there's only one king, the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, that every other name must bow to the name of Jesus. That those kings in your life, those idols, those things that rise up in our lives, God wants to give you victory over them. God wants those kings in your life to bow to his name, for his glory. We know ultimately at the end of the day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible tells us this. The Bible has proven it to us. But asking ourselves, what kings need to bow in our lives, to the true king, and his name is Jesus. So to give a little more of the, the story, as we jump back to Joshua chapter 10, you remember those five kings? They, they started a war, they started to fight the Gibeon people, and those five kings, it actually says, they're, they're chased down the, the road of Beth and they're running for their lives, and they find these five kings huddled together in a little cave, hiding. These kings, these are kings, they would have been probably in their, their nice robes and their crowns and Build strong warrior kings, but here they are hiding, huddled together in a cave. Joshua and his men find them, and he says, put big rocks over the the cave, and they keep chasing after the armies. And after they go, go and completely destroy the five armies, it says Joshua and his men return to the cave. And this is where we pick up in verse 22. It says, Joshua said, remove the rocks covering the opening of the cave. Bring the five kings to me. So they brought the five kings out of the cave, the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon. When they brought them out, Joshua told the commanders of his army, come and put your feet on the king's necks. And they did as they were told. Imagine this. These guys were were soldiers. They're fighting. And then Joshua says, hey, you, you five, come over here. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. Like, they're still kings. But yet, Joshua says, put your foot on their neck. I believe God wants us to put our feet on the necks of the kings that are rising up against the name of God. The kings, not people. I'm not talking about people. I'm not talking about politicians. I'm not talking about you. Know, I'm talking about the spiritual kings, the spiritual things that are rising up within our lives. Attacking our families. Attacking our lives to try to come and kill, steal, and destroy everything good that we have. To put our feet on the necks of those kings. Joshua says something so profound here. He says, don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Don't ever be afraid or discouraged. Joshua told his men, be strong and courageous for the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. The same thing that God spoke to Joshua, he's now speaking to his men. He's saying, don't be afraid or discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Something God told him, Joshua, over and over again. For the Lord is going to do this to all of your enemies. God expects us to win. You realize, he expects us to come. God's saying to us, come and put your feet on the necks of kings. You know, the demonic forces, demons, are actually just fallen angels. And the Bible says that God puts us above the angels, above the demons. That they have to be, they are subject to us. That God has lifted mankind above the spiritual forces. And Jesus overcame those spiritual forces. That we literally have demons under our feet, not literally physically, but spiritually speaking, we put our feet on the necks of everything that comes against God's name and against what God has for us. Joshua had to learn what it was like to win. Joshua was a slave in Egypt, but he got to see all these miraculous things that God was doing to become the commander of God's armies. That not only did Joshua put his foot on the neck of them, of the evil and the enemy, but he had other people do it as well. See, God wants you to have victory, but also for you to help others get victory. For your family, for your friends, for your coworkers, To help other people experience what you've experienced. That's why next week we're doing outdoor worship experience at Monroeville Park. There's invites all around on the seats. That's for you to give away to somebody. To invite them to experience victory in their life as well. We're going to celebrate. We're going to worship together. There's going to be baptisms. It's going to be an amazing time where I believe God's going to move on the hearts of people. You do not want to miss next Sunday, 11 o'clock. You're going to get some more details on that later. But let's make sure we're inviting others to experience the victory that God's given us. I love how King David says it in Psalm 110, verse 1. He's talking about Jesus. He says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That every enemy of God is a footstool at the feet of Jesus. That everything must bow, every king, every lord, every enemy must bow to Jesus. That he puts his feet upon them. What impossibility in your life do you need to surrender to God? What what king in your life do you need to submit to God? Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's a relationship issue you're having. Maybe just not believing in God enough to have faith to believe that he wants to move mountains in your life. Whatever that king is, recognize that king must bow to the king of all kings. Revelation 17 speaks of our our future. Tells about what's to come. One of the spots where we see where Jesus is, li- is listed as the Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Talks about how the, the enemies of God, the kings of this world, will come together. They will go to war against the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of all lords and King of all kings. Notice the capital L and the capital K. It's there on purpose because he is the king above all kings he's the lord of all lords that every other king and lord was created by him that every king must bow to him every lord must bow every sickness must bow every disease must bow every bad thing in your life must bow eventually to the name of jesus no matter what problem or obstacle or wall you face it's going to fall it's going to bow to the name of jesus because he wants us to be with him As it finishes the verse, it says his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. We're going to be with him when those armies come and those kings come. That the lamb, he defeats them all because he's greater than them all. And we get to be with him watching it all happen. We're on the winning team. That should bring excitement and joy to us. That we don't have to face the enemy alone, but we can face it with God on our side. The enemy is so much smaller than the power of our God. We should have no fear and we should expect supernatural results because God is with us as much as we are with him. I invite you to please stand to your feet because I want to pray for you. But not just a regular prayer, not just one saying, God, help us, but a bold declarative prayer. And I ask you to join with me by reaching, open up your hands or lifting up your hands just as a sign of saying you want to be with God, and you want to receive more from him. That's all you're saying. You want to be with God, and you want to receive more from him, more courageous faith. Heavenly Father, we come to you. Father, as your sons and daughters, God, not timidly, not in fear or trepidation, but God, we come boldly to your throne, saying, Father, have your way within each and every one of us, that we don't just want you to follow us, but we want to be with you, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God Almighty who created the heavens and the earth. Father, give us your courageous faith. Give us the courageous faith to believe that you can do the impossible, that there's nothing beyond your ability. God, expand our minds, expand our thinking. God, increase our faith to see you move miraculous things in our lives. Father, I pray for healing right now to spread in this house. If there's anybody who has a physical infirmity, we take it to you right now, Father, and say, be healed in Jesus' name. We cast out sickness and disease in this house in Jesus' name. Even cancer must bow to the name of Jesus. We cast out sickness and disease. We cast out uh, strife and offense, unforgiveness Father, I come to you and lift up anybody who's feeling worthless right now. Any shame, any guilt must go because every name must bow to you. Father, would you remove those spiritual demonic forces that come against your children? God, we know your heart and your will is for your children. God, we thirst for you. We long for you. May we desire more of you than even breath in our lungs. Father, have your way. Help us be bold people of faith to declare who you really are and what you're capable of. Any thing that comes against your name, we take it captive and say, be gone in Jesus' name. Father, may your name be glorified. God, as you are the God who can stop the earth from rotating, you're the God who can raise the dead, you're the God who can bring any victory in our life that we need. So Father, we stand in victory. We pray boldly, God, that you would have your way. Help us hear your voice to know where you are going to walk with you. And we thank you, Father, for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do in each of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, if you wanna be someone who has bold, courageous faith, it takes seeking him, it takes running to him. There's always a problem, but God's promises are true and he is the God of the possible. He can do anything. But it starts with having a relationship with him if you don't have a relationship with God the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done, it's really simple. You just gotta say yes to what he already wants you to do. He's opening his heart to you saying, accept me, accept me as the forgiver of your past. That means anything you've ever done up to this point can be forgiven if you accept him as the only way of forgiveness. But then he wants to become the leader into your future. That he wants to call the shots. He wants to, to help you, to lead you, to guide you, to advocate for you. All you have to do is say yes to him. If you want to make Jesus the forgiver of your past, the leader to your future, to begin a relationship with him, to understand what that means to grow in a relationship with him, I wanna pray for you. Right where you are, but I want you just to slip up your hand, and Say, that's me. I wanna begin that relationship with God. I wanna understand what it means to follow him. Thank you. Anybody else? Just slip up your hand. I'll pray for you right where you are. Amen. Jesus, thank you, Father. Father, we come to you, God, with open hearts. God, to say, speak to us once again. Father, I pray for any condemnation on anybody right now, God, that would be gone in Jesus' name, that there wouldn't be uh, fear or condemnation or guilt or shame, but just life and life abundantly as you've called for us. Father, I pray for each person with their hand up that wants to surrender to you, to submit to you, to say yes to you, that you'd forgive them of their past, that they would pray forgiveness, ask you to forgive them. And God, ask you to lead them into their life from this day forward, that they would live in such a way that brings you honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, can we give God a great big hand? You guys can be seated. Jared, come wrap us up.